This is Wealth of Ohio with Robert Dodaro from Prism Wealth Management. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Robert provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, Retirement Income Planning, Wealth Management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful strategies to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is Wealth of Ohio with Robert Dodaro. One of the interesting things that happened in the last pandemic was the impact that we've seen in the economy, especially in small businesses. You know, prior to the COVID shutdown in 2020, the small business community was actually thriving. Would you believe that from 1995 through 2020, that small businesses actually created 12.7 million jobs in this country, which far exceeded the amount of business amount of jobs created by the larger businesses, they created about 7.9 million. So small business really was the driving, motivating factor behind the economy uh, that made it so strong. After 2020 and everything that we've seen in the last few years, we thought it'd be a good idea to take a little bit of a dive this week on the Wealth of Ohio into the small business uh, community and how it is affected, how it's been impacted since 2020, and just a deeper dive to how the small business community in Ohio is doing. So welcome to the Wealth of Ohio show and podcast. I'm your host, Robert Dodaro, the founder of Prism Wealth Management. Uh, We're a company that helps to change the perspective and change the way you view many of the financial issues and wealth issues of our time. And wealth is not limited to your money. Wealth comes in the form of your uh, spiritual well-being, your mental well-being as well too. All of these factor into a happy lifestyle. And this week with me, as always, we have our co-host, Mr. Tony Shore, uh, who come, who's coming to us all the way from Minnesota this week. And uh, I, I hear it's cold over there, Tony. <laughs> it is really cold. It's unfortunately uh, still winter. Spring hasn't made it here yet, I guess. Um, yeah, last night got out, got down into the high 20s. And uh, when I woke up this morning, it was 32 degrees and it's been cold, windy, very windy and rainy here. So uh, you guys are, are down there in God's country. It's been warm there, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, we, it's still Ohio, right? Yeah. So True. We, we, the, it can change on a daily basis. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and also with us this week, we also have from our offices, Mr. Matt Gilbert. He's been with the office a good while now and, uh, you know, helps out on the research side. How are you doing this week, Matt? I'm doing good. Enjoyed the weekend of 80 degree weather. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's cooled down. So for for those of you listening, we always record the show a little bit in advance. So Matt and I are still sitting here with sunburns from the couple days of nice weather we had where we could go out and do yard work. But uh, I, we know colder weather. It's Ohio. You know, give it five minutes, as they say. <laughs> right. The, the, the weather will change. But, uh, you know, hopefully spring is fully here. And, you know, maybe by the time summer starts, spring will actually be here all the way. Uh, that's what we hope for every year. But 
Same thing I think could be said for many of the small businesses out there where, you know, we're hoping for spring after a long winter that was the COVID pandemic. Uh, Not to say that it's not still going on, but I think most people have kind of moved on and accepted the new way of lifestyle that we can expect moving forward. But, you know, prior to it, like we were saying, small business was such a driving force of the economy. And as always, we like to share our resources, share our knowledge with you. So as we go through this information and and cite it, uh, keep in mind that if you ever sign up for our email list every week, you'll get a reminder that the show's coming on and you'll get a list of all the resources that we use to formulate the opinion. And this week, we've got a lot of great resources, not only on, you know, the impact of the small business community, but if you are a business owner out there, what are some of the different retirement plan options that you have? Should you go with an SEP IRA, a simple IRA, create a profit sharing plan, you know, different forms of uh, plans that you can use to hopefully save for retirement as you're building this business that you've dreamed of uh, for so long. And even me as a small business owner, I, I have a special place in my heart with our company. We, we do a lot in the community uh, through either the Chamber of Commerce or just different events that we'll do to help promote more of the local small businesses like the retail shops, the coffee shops, the smaller restaurants. Uh, Get out there, support your local community. Uh, It's the best thing you can do. If you're worried about all the craziness that's happening in the country and overall with inflation and all, that the best thing you can do is take care of your communities. Use your resources to support the community because normally when you're spending money at a small business, that money is going back into your community as well, too. So keep that in mind as we go through all this information. But, you know, Matt, we found a a really good article uh, that basically came to us from, it's called uh, Hostinger uh, Tutorials. And it talks about a lot of different small business statistics out there. Uh, I know I've touched on one or two of them, but what are some of the other ones that jumped out at you from this article? Uh, 32.5 million small businesses in the U.S. Wow. That's that's quite a lot of businesses out there that are small businesses, and and that's just the point. They're they're, they're small companies. They may not be for they're not going to be Fortune five hundred companies. These are the businesses that you start from your garage, or you know that you're going door to door or building a. Now it's not even door to door as the article talks about it. It's social media. <laughs> blasting yourself out on social media, trying to get awareness to your product and drive people to your website to buy something uh, overwhelmingly. And actually, a lot of the businesses were real estate businesses. So you, you definitely see plenty of real estate ads when you're online. That's for sure. I, I know. But uh, what else? Let's see. What what else jumped out at you? So it's it? interesting that the breakdown is 81% of that 32.5 million is no employee small businesses, meaning it's one employer yourself mm-hmm. and it's just you in the business and that's uh, that's the way most businesses start it's it's just you uh maybe you and a buddy or you and a spouse or something along those lines but uh, you know it, it takes a while to build up in there and i believe the article even uh mentions how uh the average uh, business owner uh, out there, uh, what what are, what were they making? Uh, I think it was the the revenue of the business in the first year was like forty five forty six thousand uh, dollars that they were making in their first year. No, so 
average salary was about 65,000, 65,800. Yeah. And it's, 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 so how are they only making 45 in revenue, but paying themselves 66? That's that, that was what's been bugging me as I keep reading through these statistics and uh, with it as well. But realistically, it takes a while. And if you're looking at average, that's not just first year revenue, you know, as well, too. So that that might explain uh, a little bit of what has to do with it. But I found it interesting. And if you've considered opening a small business, the types of businesses that you can open, uh, most people start off as a sole proprietor. So like Matt said, 81% of businesses have no employees. Uh, And Usually when you go the way of a sole proprietor, you open the business and it's one of the cheapest, easiest ways to open a business. So if you have an idea, you want to check it out, you want to see if it's profitable, usually you start off as a sole proprietor. But it's easy and cheap or affordable. What are the downsides to that? Of course. So the biggest downside is when you're a sole proprietor, uh, you know, if something were to happen or if you were to be sued, well, then uh, your personal assets are subject to the lawsuit of your business. So if you, you know, have someone's meeting you someplace and they have an accident or, you know, they meet you at a place of business uh, and they trip and fall and get hurt and they want to sue your company. Well, not only can they come after the money that the business has, they can come after your personal assets as well, like your home and stuff like that. So this is the dangers of being a sole proprietor. And you have to kind of weigh those risks because you are exposed as an individual as well, too, as a sole proprietor. This is why most people encourage you to create an LLC, a limited liability company. When you do that, you have to, you know, file your name with the state, get approved. There's a fees. There's, you know, there's some legal fees in there that you have to pay to get established. But once you establish that, If you ever, if your business ever was to be sued, well, then the liability is limited to the business. So the the business gets sued. Your personal assets aren't subject to that lawsuit as well. So it's a way of protecting yourself as a business owner. And of course, you know, what structure of company is something you should be talking about with an attorney? It goes to say, I mean, Matt and I, we are not attorneys. Uh, We're financial professionals. We deal with a lot of business owners. I'm a business owner myself. So I can tell you what I've gone through uh, in there too, but your circumstances, your business, you want to start consulting with professionals on this because there's good reasons to protect yourself on that side as well. Uh, There's some tax advantages too. So one of the advantages of being a sole proprietor is that you you don't have to file a separate business tax every year. Like your income counts towards your personal income. So you don't have to pay a CPA to do your personal taxes and your business taxes. They're kind of all grouped together in one, which makes it simpler, easier to file at tax time uh, as well. Now, becoming an LLC you have different choices on how you want to be taxed in there. And we're going to focus today on just the S corp side of it. You may have heard of that. Uh, But when you, when you file your business as an S corp and you do your taxes that way, there's, there's kind of the benefit of all, all the worlds, I would say. So, 
you're an LLC, so your your business is your, your personal assets are protected. When you do your taxes as an S corp, the taxes count towards your personal tax rate, not the corporate tax rate. So you always want to talk to a CPA or a, a tax professional on this as well to see which one may be more favorable for you based on the size of your company and the amount of revenue coming your way as well too. So me personally, I file as an S corp. That's what my company is uh, with it as well. Now, so you get your personal assets protected. You still get to file kind of the same way as a sole proprietor does as well. But because you are an LLC, now you get to pay yourself in two different ways. You get to pay yourself either through um, uh, paychecks, you know, like most people get. You give yourself a salary and every month you pay that salary. They they take out the FICA taxes for Social Security and Medicare. You, you, you pay your income tax as well, too, on all of this. Um, however, you're also allowed to do what are called members draws, right? So a members draw is there to say, it's kind of like when uh, large corporations pay dividends to their shareholders. Uh, the shareholders have to pay income taxes on those dividends, but they don't have to pay FICA taxes on those dividends as well, too. So when you do a member's draw, it's almost like you're paying yourself out a portion of the profits. And on that money, you don't have to pay the FICA taxes. You only have to pay income taxes on it. So it can be save the business owners quite a bit of money in extra taxes because you're talking 15, 16% in FICA taxes that small business owners have to pay on top of the income taxes as well. But what is the downside to not paying those FICA taxes? Well, you're yeah. not building a social, yeah, you're not building a social security benefit for yourself. So this is, uh, we'll meet uh, with plenty of business owners who come in and yeah, they've made good money, but they didn't pay themselves a wage while they were doing, or didn't pay themselves a large wage while they were doing this. And this is something the government's looked at over the last year or two. Uh, it was even a scandal that scooped up President Biden when he was uh, independent over the, that those from 2017 through 2021, when he wasn't uh, a, a government official, he had his own private speaking business. So he made like $13.5 million during the year uh, and chose that basically only 750000 of that was payroll. And the rest of it was either something that got paid out in expenses, members draws, different things like that. We don't have his full filings. Those aren't public information or anything. So don't jump to any conclusions out there. But uh, it, it is a question when you, as a business owner, when you are an S corp and you're doing this uh, members draw versus payroll thing, you must pay yourself a reasonable wage based on the amount of revenue that's coming into the business in there too. So as my business grows, I make sure and give myself pay raises. It, it just means I'm paying extra taxes. Like I really not, like it's, it's not fun when you're a business owner, trust me, like to go through these things and, and see those extra taxes, but you have to be fair and reasonable with the tax code as well too. So um, but yeah, you, you want to look at that and you obviously want to talk to lawyers, talk to tax people before you open a business, uh, just to make sure that, you know, you're, you're going to do it the right way that's suited for your needs. Kind of like what we do with the financial planning side. You know, when we get together with someone to plan out uh, their goals, their retirements, whatever, whatever the subject may be, we want to give them a clear understanding of what their current path is and what their options are out there right now uh, with it as well. Some areas of concerns, if we see red flags like, hey, this this is a problem you may want to look at sooner rather than later. We want to bring that up to them. We call all this our clear retirement solution. 
The idea is simple. You know, how much do you have? How much are you saving? When do you want to retire? And how much do you want to spend when you retire uh, with it as well? From all of that, we can look at your investments, look at everything you have going on and kind of paint your current path for you. Based on how you're currently projected, your odds of success of not running out of money in retirement, let's say, are 82%. Okay, it's 82% chance you don't run out of money in retirement. Are you comfortable there? Do you want your score higher? Oh, you know, realistically, 82 seems a little high, Robert. I want to actually enjoy my money. I want to push it a little bit more. You could drop that score down to a 70. And I know it sounds backwards because we're used to wanting to see like A's on our kids' report cards. But that's not how it works in the financial industry. It's always a little bit different. But want to get back we're going to we're going to dive in a little bit more into the small business section uh, and what's going on in the state of Ohio in the small business community when we come back from our break here in just a moment so stay tuned we'll be back with more wealth of ohio show and podcast in just a moment when you think of a puzzle what would you say is the most important piece a corner a side piece i would argue that the most important piece of a puzzle is the picture on the box and the same can be said for your retirement Robert Dodaro from Prism Wealth Management would love to show you your retirement picture. For more information, call 330-804-0123 or visit his website at wealthofohio.com. Firm offers insurance services, investment advisory services offered through AEWM LLC. And welcome back to the Wealth of Ohio show and podcast with our host, Robert Dodaro, and our special guest, as always, our guest host, Matt Gilbert. Uh, Matt, great to have you here today as well. And I'm your co-host, Tony Shore. And Robert, you've been talking about a lot of things, but what about small businesses in the state of Ohio? What specifically uh, do small businesses in this area uh, need to know about? So we actually put two articles in our notes this week and two resources for you. And I find it interesting, Matt, looking at the numbers, because one of the surveys has Ohio ranked pretty well for the small business community and another survey, they're not ranked as well in there. So, and by ranked well, I mean, in one, we're beating Michigan and in the other, we're losing to them. Uh, <laughs> it's always, you know, losing it's always Michigan yeah. that we compare ourselves against, right? Oh yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta have a rival. I mean no matter right. what, it's you know sure. iron sharpens iron, as they say. Right. Uh, and friendly competition is always a good thing and a healthy thing, I believe, uh, for a lot of things. So uh, it's interesting because we did put in a couple, of, and, and these are surveys, so they are subjective, of course. Uh, but we had two surveys: one from an article from Incinc.com, and another one that comes directly from the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council. So, you know, I'm going to start with the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council just because, one, they're an official organization uh, with it as well. And two, because, you know, Ohio wins in this one. This uh, is just to be a little biased. So, you know, they, they ranked all the states in two <laughs> categories, their policy environment and their tax environment. So from a policy perspective, out of all 50 states, Ohio ranked number 13, one spot above Michigan. They had Michigan at number 14 in there. 
Now, uh, with that, in, in terms of what you're talking about with policy indexes, how easy it is to open a business, uh, you know, the sort of the business environment overall, and government does have a lot to do with that. The red tape that is there to, one, open your business, but also operate your business. And that can be very costly. I mean, Matt, you see it in our office. You know, every time the government changes the rules, there's always a whole lot of work, a whole lot of money that we spend uh, rewriting our rules and procedures to make sure that we're following in line with the new rules, only to have the government change those rules back a year or two later to what they were before. So it's Robert. I worked in the banking industry during the small business loans. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I know what the government did to those. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah they, they made it tough on everybody. Now, interestingly, from a tax environment, uh, this article had Ohio ranked number seven, while Michigan was ranked number 13. So, uh, you know, in this case, they, they have Ohio clearly ahead of Michigan in here, not by wide margins, and both states are favorable. And I think it's because uh, a lot of businesses have left the community over the years that they've realized they have to create a more friendly environment to bring businesses back and to help stimulate small business growth as well, too. So it's not surprising to see those numbers. Here's an interesting thought. What type of business left Ohio and Michigan? Manufacturing. Manufacturing. So they had to make those policies and make that tax-friendly environment to get businesses back in here so our people had jobs to go to every day. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, that's a fair assessment, I would say, pretty clearly uh, for for what uh, what's been going on out there. And, I mean, there's, there's you know, another article. And uh, this article, you know, like I said, it came from Inc., but it was actually a, uh, a survey and lots of data that came from uh, a source called Thumbtack. So, again, yeah, like – I, I, I like the name of the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council better than I like the name of Thumbtack, we'll say, uh, in terms of credibility. But that's <laughs> all, all I'm basing yes. it off of is their name. So to be fair, I, you know, that, I, I got to say that. But uh, and for some reason, Thumbtack, man, they really like Michigan. They put Michigan at number four overall and dropped Ohio all the way down to 22. And, you know, people from Ohio will love this. So under Ohio, the description was, well, Ohio was middling performer, lots of Bs and C pluses for the tax code, but the capital city, Columbus, got an A plus. Cincinnati scored a B, but Cleveland dragged things down with a D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah. Funny how that works, right, Matt? That's funny, but interesting enough, when I lived in Columbus, there are a ton of businesses that originated in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's headquarters for Wendy's, mm-hmm. uh, Stanley Steamer, um, White Castle, Limited Brand, Max and Irma's, if you remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember them. So lots of, you know, it's, it's interesting when you see all the, you know, the business options and out there, but you know, Ohio does have a good, like, I mean, speaking as a small business owner, uh, I I definitely feel like the state has good resources. Like whenever I've had to reach out to the small business uh, association or anything else like that, uh, lots of resources to help small businesses grow uh, as you're trying to build your business. But you know, that being said, once you have a business, 
how do you start saving money? And, you know, we always say, how do I avoid paying taxes on some of this money? Do I have the IRAs, the 401ks? Like, what are my options? So, Matt, I know you pulled up some resources, and the primary two vehicles we're going to focus on are called SEP IRAs, or also there's going to be simple IRAs, just S-I-M-P-L-E. But before I before I give you that explanation, Matt, I just want to say, ultimately, if you're a small business owner, really, if you're anybody out there, if you're trying to plan for retirement and you're trying to figure out where you stand, what your path is, can you retire by age 65 or whatever age it is, then come meet with me in either my Worcester or Wadsworth office. We can do a Zoom meeting if you prefer as well too. But, you know, it's time to start figuring out what your path is. And that's what the Clear Retirement Solution is there for. It's there to help you see what your path is right now and ultimately what options you have for improving your situation and helping your situation uh, as you go through your retirement goals. It's a complimentary process that we take you through when you come meet with us. And all you need to do is call 330-804-0123. Again, that's 330-804-0123. It's the weekend, so please leave us a message and either Joe or Rebecca will give you a call back Monday morning. But give us a call, leave a message, and we'll get you scheduled to start your own clear retirement solution uh, with me in either Worcester or Wadsworth. So I went and got the information right from the source. The Department of Labor has a nice pamphlet called Choosing a Retirement Solution for Your Small Business. And one of the stats they kind of put out there is Americans will need to replace 70 to 90% of their pre-retirement income. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. I mean, if you're just using a ballpark guess, uh, I would say the higher numbers are if you're trying to retire before age 65, the lower numbers are if you're, you know, retiring later, if you're trying to work till 70 or something like that. So one of the biggest things with these are some tax advantages. I know Robert likes to talk about playing that game with the government. Are you smarter than the government? But some of that is employer contributions and employee income can be kind of deducted from your taxes. So that helps there. Um, There are higher limits to contribute Mm -hmm. to those retirement plans. So if you're looking for additional avenues, an employer type of plan will allow you to save more and more efficiently. Yeah. So just to break it down, SEP, self-employed persons uh, option. So this is an option whereby, um, you know, basically whenever you put your money, like, so a traditional IRA, we'll start with the basics. If you're trying to put money in an IRA or Roth IRA, well, you can either do $6,000 if you're under the age of 50 or $7,000 if you're over the age of 50. So if you're a business owner and all you're saving is six, $7,000 per year, Okay, you could probably just get by with a regular traditional IRA. It's when your business starts growing and you want to put more money in that you start looking to your other options. Now, if you wanted to do a 401k like a big company out there, yeah, you can put $20,000 a year in there, you know, even more if you're over the age of 50. But you have to have, there's a lot of fees and a lot of expenses that come with a 401k. So if you're at a big company with a 401k, uh, please understand your, your company is paying a lot of money just for you to have that account that you're not even seeing in most cases. So when you're a small business, it doesn't always make sense to have a 401k either. So when you want to save more than six seven thousand dollars a year while getting a tax deduction for it, then you use either a simple IRA or an SEP IRA. Simple IRA, Matt. What's the what's the contract? How much can you put into a simple IRA during the year? So a simple, you have a employer contribution of for twenty twenty two of fourteen thousand. So 
kind of take a step back. Mm-hmm. We talked earlier before the break on the type of small businesses with no employers and employees. Mm-hmm. So a SEP uh, IRA is one set up more for smaller companies mm-hmm. where it's either an individual or not. So on that one, the only person that can contribute is the employer mm-hmm. contribute. Yeah. So your employer does a contribution, but here's the thing. Like you can put, I think it's what, uh, $54,000, $56,000? $58,000. $58,000. So I'm That's way That's 2021, off, so. 61 for 2022. Wow, 61. So instead of 7000 I can defer taxes on up to $61,000. You might be licking your lips if you're a small business owner out there. Uh, however, the, the calculation for how much you get to contribute is actually based off of the profits of your company. So you have to wait until tax time for your CPA to do your taxes and they will say, hey, you can only contribute this much into your SEP IRA. The problem is is if you're a SEP and you have employees, if you want to make a contribution for yourself, you also have to make a contribution for your employees. That's equal in in, in percentage wise. Like if you're taking 10% and putting it in for you, uh, you got to get that same percentage in for the employees as well. So that can get very expensive as you go along. But it is one of if you're a self-employed just yourself kind of business or you and your spouse only, there's a lot of options with SEP IRA if you have a lot of revenue. You have to have the revenue and profits to get those contributions that high though. And it is kind of up to a 25% of your compensation Mm -hmm. and then that 61,000, whatever is less. Mm -hmm. Now the simple plan is a little bit more similar to what we consider a 401k where Mm -hmm. both the employee and the employer can contribute to that. The employer does have to set up what they're matching, whether Mm -hmm. it's 3% or they can do a 2%. And there's some different year things. So you can, because you know, you own a small business, revenues fluctuate. So they do allow you to drop that down to 1% match for two of the previous five years or the five years surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So simple IRA is like a 401k light. It's, it's, there's a lot less fees. So when you're a small business, it's, it's a little bit more attractive. You can put a lot more money in it per year than you could in your traditional IRA. The big difference uh, is that with simple IRAs, they're funded by payroll contributions. So if you're an employer and you're not paying yourself enough wages, you really don't have the ability to contribute to the simple IRA, uh, as where SEP is something you do at tax time afterwards. So again, there's slight variations and slight differences in there. And ultimately, this is why you need the help of not only like whenever you're doing these things, it's always good to have a legal person, a tax person and a financial person in your corner, because we all have different pieces of the puzzle that we can help explain to you. So if you're a business owner out there and you're trying to get yourself organized, not only from a retirement plan perspective for your company, but also for yourself, we are here as a resource for you. And all you need to do is give us a call 330-804-0123. Again, that's 330-804-0123. Or you can always visit us on the web, My prismwealth.com. There's a radio link where you can listen to the show anytime you want. There's an events page. So if you want to come to one of my speaking events or one of the workshops I do on social security or taxes, estate planning, various courses that we do throughout the, the year, you can check those out as well too. But we're here as a resource for you. So don't forget, you can sign up to get these sources emailed to you every single week uh, with a link to the show so you can listen in anytime you want. Call us 330 804 0123 
But that's all the time we have for the Wealth of Ohio show. As always, we've saved some bonus material for our Wealth of Ohio podcast. We're going to keep diving into the small business information, but we're also going to talk about what you look for in a financial advisor as well and a financial professional as you're talking to people. We'll be right back in just a moment with more of the Wealth of Ohio podcast. Thank you for listening to Wealth of Ohio. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Robert Dodaro at Prism Wealth Management. Call 330-804-0123 or visit them online at wealthofohio.com. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. AE Wealth Management and Prism Wealth Management, LLC are not affiliated companies. Prism Wealth Management is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any references to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the issuing carrier. This radio show is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet the particular needs of an individual situation. Prism Wealth Management is not permitted to offer and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not affiliated with or endorsed by the U.S. government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions contained herein provided by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Prison Wealth Management, LLC. This radio show is a paid placement. And welcome back to the Wealth of Ohio podcast. This is the podcast bonus, and we're here with Robert Dodaro and Matt Gilbert, myself, Tony Shore. And Robert, it's been a great discussion today so far. What do you have for our bonus segment today? Oh, man. So we'll talk a little bit. We'll I try put and, you on the spot, I didn't know, I? I know. So there's, so, I mean, there's what, what we can talk about all kinds of things. I mean, Elon Musk bought Twitter, right? You know, I mean, that, that yeah, was, that was, some that's marketing. official. That's, you know, in terms of it, at least as of the news today, I always warn people, yep. we, we record the show in advance and deals can always fall apart at the last minute, it seems like. But, That's you know, true. it looks like it looks like it's it's going to be wrapped up here and Elon's going to be buying Twitter. So will this increase his net worth or decrease it? Uh, That's I mean, what it's, they're saying. I mean, it's an interesting debate in there. It's kind of like your credit score, in my opinion. Like, no matter what, whenever you buy a house or anything else like that, your score probably takes an initial hit. But as long as you did the right thing or made the right investment or, you know, chose the right things, usually your score recovers pretty quickly and then you're making money again. So I think long term, he makes more money because realistically, the, the board wasn't that invested in the company. I mean, when you look at how much shares they owned and what they were, I mean, normally just like, you know, I, I, I want to see the the business owners invested in the company as well too, and that they're invested in their success uh, with it. If you don't have that much skin in the game, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, easier to, you know, not follow, you know, the best interest of the company uh, as well too. So the fact that they weren't that invested was a, a warning side for me and I think a lot of other people uh, out there as well too and I think that's why the shareholders put the pressure on the board to say wait a minute you guys may not be interested in selling but we at least want to hear this offer and once he had the, the financial backing and showed that he could pull the money they, they took the offer more seriously and, and considered it so you know it's always interesting to see the market changes the world changes out there uh, you know when you're a small business owner he <laughs> 
you know, it's, you know, you're, you're not really, you know, you're, you're not too worried about Twitter out there, I imagine, and who owns it. But uh, realistically, you have to look at your business the same way and say, what's the best interest? How do I make it profitable? What are the things that I can do uh, to make my company worth more money as well, too, and make it more attractive? Do you think you'll make the company private or keep it public? That's interesting. And again, we record the show in advance. I mean, I'd be amazed if the deal was wrapped up and the decision was done. But uh, in in any case, I think that he would take it private for a while and then re-release it publicly and and, and get paid again, you know, get his money back out, maybe take a small profit for himself uh, with it and reestablish the leadership of the company. I mean, you could do that and, and keep it going from there. Do you think he's in contact with Jack Dorsey, the original founder of Twitter? I don't know. I mean, I, I I know Jack Dorsey. He he put a lot of stuff on Twitter. You know, he finally like let loose while all this stuff was going on on Twitter, and and wasn't very happy with the board himself. Even though he's on the board, he's about he was he was scheduled to leave the board uh, soon as well too. So uh, he wasn't supposed to be talking as much as he did online. But I think he just got a little bit fed up with it and said, "All right, uh, we've got to act in the best interest of the shareholders. That's the job of the board." I mean, I serve on the board of the local United. Way of Wayne and Holmes County. And that's, you know, what we discuss pretty regularly in the decisions that we have to make is, are we staying true to our mission? Are we staying to our, true to our goals? Are we acting in the best interest of our donors, the people who actually give us the money? Uh, are we doing what they expect us to be doing with the money as well too, uh, and allocating it properly in the community? A, a business owner, it's the same sort of logic. Uh, how can I use this money to the benefit of the ownership of the company, to grow the company, make it better, make it better for the employees uh, as well too, but uh, the the you always want to increase the value of your business and the profitability of your business. So, but enough about Elon. Enough about Twitter, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, my my comment on that is the world's richest man just bought the world's most influential social media platform. What could possibly go? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but on the flip side, I don't, Tony, I don't know if you heard about this one. So it's also reported out there that, uh, you know, uh, Bill Gates was trying to reach out to Elon to do a joint venture on, you know, environmental projects, clean energy products and all that. Yeah. And yeah. E- Elon got Bill Gates to admit that Bill Gates owns a $500 million short on Tesla out there as well. So, (laughs) you know, what does it say when Bill Gates, the former wealthiest person in the world, who is one of the leading voices on environmental topics, is shorting, meaning he's betting on Tesla to fail. And if Tesla fails, he's got $500 million in there that's going to make a whole lot of money if Tesla fails. He's betting against the one company that's done more for cleaning up the environment than (laughs) practically any corporation out there right now. And, uh, you know, so the irony of this, and this is why... Like money talks people, you know, realistically, yeah, you got to follow sure the money. You got to pay yeah. attention to these things. Uh, right. and, and, and you can make your own inferences as to what that means politically, socially, and all those other things. But sure. it, it, you know, it is interesting. I found that story to be a little bit more juicier than the Elon buying Twitter sure. story and everything yeah. as well. Yeah, it uh, is with- juicy. Although, although Bill Gates at this point, he, he probably has, you know, a, a personal investor who, I mean, is there a chance Bill had no idea that he was oh, no, he, shorting? He directly texted him. So these were screenshots from Eli's phone of the text thread between him and Bill Gates of Bill Gates asking him, 
if, you know, if he wanted to do a joint venture and Elon's like, well, do you still own, do you, are you still shorting me by 500 million? And Bill admitted to it in the text. And so Elon's ah, like, nope, wow. I have no okay. desire to work with you on any joint ventures while you're shorting my company Yeah, <laughs> you know, with it as well, well too. Of course, so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he mm -hmm. admitted to it. So he knew about it. Uh, yeah. That's not good. Now, now, according to Elon, he did not share those screenshots of his cell phone and the text thread or anything else. He said someone must have gotten it from him or something. I, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the, yeah. again, the, 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 the drama of all this, you, sure. you know, I mean, 15 years from now, there's going to be a movie on this, you know, or something like that. Oh, Everybody's got to cash sure. in on the yeah. movie deal at some yeah. point, too. So, yeah. But, you know, when we think about this, you know, it's about working with good people. Like you said, it, maybe someone's advising him. So who's advising you? That, that's my question to you out there, listeners. Who is out there giving you advice, helping you understand not only what you have in terms of your investments, in terms of your annuities, in terms of your insurance, who's explaining these things to you, but also who's helping you put together the big picture, right? Like who's like you have all these different pieces. Maybe you have the, the junk drawer of financial statements out there. Who's helping you get it organized and showing you what kind of plans you can make based on what you are currently doing? Because this is what we specialize in in our company. Uh, you know, ultimately, we are held to the fiduciary standard, which means that we have to act in your best interest and put the interest of our clients before the interest of ourselves. So, you know, when what I did when I started this company years ago uh, was, you know, I took that message to heart, you know, and for me, best interest isn't just about making sure you own the right blend of stocks and bonds to match your tolerance. It's about understanding how your investments can impact your taxes and understanding how your taxes can impact your health care and understanding how all of those things can impact how much money the government gets when you pass away, let alone how do you generate income when you're ready to retire. All of these things interact with each other and they impact each other. And, you know, me as an advisor and taking that role seriously, I, I'd feel guilty if I, you know, if let's just say I made you $2,000 in your investments, but then I lost you $2,000 in taxes. You know, my statement may look good, but your personal balance sheet doesn't look any better. And I made money while you made nothing. You know, that's that's not a fair deal. That's not a best interest deal in my case. So or what I would hold it, what I would hold it to be. So when we start talking about best interest and you start talking about planning for retirement, there are five key areas of planning for retirement. You've got your income, your investments, your tax efficient strategies, health care and legacy. So all of these are important factors, but you're going out there and you're meeting with all kinds of different professionals, not understanding who they are, what they do, or how they can benefit you. Are they someone that just focuses in the market? Are they someone who only sells annuities and doesn't do anything in the market? Are they someone who can put together a spending plan for you? Or do they not understand any of these things, you know, as well? So we hopefully want to arm you with a little bit of information. So we found a cool article from NerdWallet. Uh, you know, about financial advisors and comparing them to robo-advisors. We've, we've done shows on the robo-advisors before, and we'll probably do some shows on them again as we go forward. But I'm talking about the, the living, breathing, you know, advisors that you go meet with, that most people are still comfortable meeting with a, a person, not a machine for their finances. So Matt, you know, what, what are your thoughts? You know, when you, when, you, when you talk to people and someone walks up to you and says, hey, how do I know if I'm working with, you know, a, a, an advisor who 
who's looking out for my best interest or how do I, you know, how do I know who I'm meeting with? You know, what do you talk to them about? So, I mean, it's a relationship game. Like you mentioned, you got to get to know the client's needs, wants, wishes in retirement so you can help them be successful. Mm-hmm. But I want to take it back to you and ask you a question, Robert. Mm-hmm. So where is it that a financial advisor makes the money that they earn? Is it in the growth phase? Is it in the spending phase? What aspect of that do you think you make the most out of your? Well, and I think this is where the government is really trying to crack down and making sure that, you know, advisors have to disclose what they're making. So, I mean, if you're meeting with an advisor and they're trying to sign you up for a product and they're not clearly telling you how much they're making and where they're making it or any of those things, that's a red flag. I would just say right off the bat. Okay. So, you know, it depends on the products and it depends on the blend of when we meet with people, but uh, there's several different ways that fees are charged. Now, this, these aren't what we charge, but these are just examples. So, you know, if you're if you're going into an annuity, a lot of annuities pay commissions. Now, those commissions come from the insurance company. So, if someone puts a hundred thousand dollars in an annuity, that advisor could be making anywhere from one percent to seven and a half percent. But that's as a one-time pay only, and that comes from the insurance company, not out of your pocket. So, if you put a hundred thousand in, your account balance says a hundred thousand dollars with that. So, you may be paying nothing in that case uh, off of it. It may all come from the insurance company side. Uh, However, when you go on the investment side, uh, you have people that still charge the commissions over there. So that's like when you buy one of those front-loaded mutual funds where they charge you 5-6% up front to buy in, in which case that commission you are paying. That money is coming straight out of your account day one to buy into the position that you are buying into. And so you need to be aware of that when you're buying these things because you don't want to lose five, six, seven percent up front as well. Now, the government wants most advisors and most people who play by the fiduciary rules to do management fees. This is where they collect a percentage based off the money that is in the market. And so not like your annuity money wouldn't count on something like that. It would be the market money. But the money you have invested in the market, they take a flat fee. Uh, You can charge anywhere up to three percent on there, but it's not based on performance. So it's not like, oh, if you get, if I grow 10%, I get 3% or I get 1% or whatever it is, no matter what, it's 1% of the asset. So if your money's going down, I'm getting paid less. And if your money's going up, I'm getting paid more. So that way it's a, it's more of a, a shared risk type thing as well. I don't want, not necessarily shared risk. That's probably a bad way of putting it. But, uh, you know, the idea is that you're, you're invested in the success of your clients is probably the better way of putting it. So all these fees are possible. So you need someone who sits when they sit down. This is why when we do our analysis, we show you what you're currently paying in fees. And then whenever we make our recommendation, we show you exactly what the fees are with us, both the hidden and the the, the visible and the invisible fees that are out there. We want you to see everything no matter what and do a fair apples to apples comparison of the products and the choices that you have. So that kind of goes to a philosophy I have. There are two people that you need to trust. Mm-hmm. One is your doctor and being to be open and honest with them. And the other one is your financial advisor or financial resources, because those are the two biggest decisions we'll make in our life, our health care and our finances. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you, I, like I said earlier in the earlier segment, you know, no matter what, you want a lawyer, you want a CPA, you want a financial person in your corner. Uh, fortunately, you know, I'm we're, we're versed in all these areas. Now, we're not lawyers, we're not CPAs or anything. We network with those people, but we have a network of professionals that we can reach out to. Or if you have your own, we give our, cli- our clients give us permission to call their CPAs. So when we're talking about complicated tax moves, we can reach out to the CPA and verify our math to make sure that we are acting in the client's best interest. Likewise, if we think that there should be some changes to the way they rate their beneficiaries based off the goals and the things that they're relaying to us, okay, well, hey, let's have a conversation or maybe a conference call with your lawyer. So that way we speak their language. We know when the lawyer's using all these crazy words, we actually know what they mean. So we can kind of relay to the lawyer what you're trying to do and help to make sure that your, your, your wills, your power of attorneys, those types of documents documents, your trust are structured in a way that makes sense for you, but also match your investments and your assets. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone who went and met with an attorney come in and bring their trust in and say, okay, met with the lawyer, paid for the trust. The lawyer says all these assets need to move into the trust. And I'm like, no, they, you, you don't want to do that. That would be very, very bad for you if you did that. No, but the lawyer said, I said, well, hang on, let's, let's call the lawyer and you can listen to me talk to them and I'll ask them my questions. And sure enough, after we go through the questions, you know, the lawyer says, no, yeah, actually, you only want to put these assets in. You don't want to put those assets in. So it's a matter of understanding what options you have. And if you're not someone who can explain that to these professionals, you need to be hiring professionals who ultimately can network for you and, you know, help you get better answers to make sure that you're not making steps that leave more of your money to the government. And that's more about holistic planning. That's what we focus on at Prism Wealth Management is holistic planning. So if you're out there and you're listening, you're a business owner, you're you're just a regular person, doesn't matter. But if you're looking at retiring in the next five years, especially, then you need to have this analysis done. We will develop a complimentary clear retirement solution for you to let you know your current path and what track you're on to be able to retire and the budget that you can enjoy. Joy. Also, what would happen if either you or your spouse would pass away? We'll show you that in there in the Clear Retirement Solution. All you need to do to get started on the complimentary process is call 330-804-0123. Again, that's 330-804-0123. Or visit us on the web at myprismwealth.com. And prism is P-R-I-S-M. But, you know, I think we've we've, we've we've given you guys way more than enough, probably way more than you bargained for this week as well, too. Uh, but, you know, as always, we want to be a resource and we want you to think about all these different options out there. So if you're a business owner and you're trying to figure out what the best way for you to move forward saving for retirement, give us a call. 330-804-0123. We're here to help you. We'll give you we'll do our best to answer your questions. And ultimately, if we need to refer you to a lawyer or CPA, we can do that as well, too. But, you know, it's been a great show. Tony, Matt, thank you guys so much for the help this week. We appreciate it as always. And thank you to our listeners out there who've been, you know, with us through this as we transition from radio to podcast. And who knows, maybe one day you'll see us on YouTube out there. But uh, for everyone here at the Wealth of Ohio show, we hope you guys have a great week. And we'll see you next week on the Wealth of Ohio show and podcast.